Gator fans, welcome into another edition of Celebrating 96 as we go back and look game by game at that magnificent first national championship for the University of Florida. And last week, Coach Steve Spurrier was kind enough to join us as we talked about the 35-29 victory in Knoxville over Tennessee. But what did that do? Well, the Gators are now the number one ranked team in the country as they host Kentucky. And uh, it was the first time Florida had been number one since the 94 season, so it was important to get that back. And, uh, and certainly, while Florida got a huge statement win uh, over the Vols, it was interesting talking to Coach Spurrier last week. And you can find that, uh, you can find that episode, if you, if you missed it, on 1010XL.com. But it was interesting what Spurrier said. You know, there was no real joking, uh, no celebrating in the locker room post-game because the Gators had gotten up to a 35-0 lead. Tennessee scores the final 29 points of the game. Now the Vols never threatened to win the game. They never really had a, a ch- they never had a chance to to take the lead with the ball. They scored with a, you know 10 seconds left uh, to make it a six-point uh, outcome. But uh, but it was interesting because you see that edge. You don't see a team. You know some teams take their foot off the gas a little bit when they get that statement win. And that was a statement win. That was Florida saying to the college football world, uh, "Forget about the Fiesta Bowl debacle to Nebraska." We're still here, and we're still relevant as a national title contender. Uh, again, everybody thought Tennessee was going to win the game. They were favored uh, by three and a half. Florida goes up there and gets the job done. So Florida is now number one, and Kentucky comes in, and Florida's got a substantial athletic edge over Kentucky. But what they did to the Wildcats that day shows you the championship medal this team had because they did not take their foot off the gas. In fact, they even uh, you know, punched it to the floor a little bit more. 65 to nothing. Florida over Kentucky September 28th of 1996. And before we get into the nuts and bolts of the game, I want to let you know this episode of Celebrating 96 is sponsored by the personal injury law firm of Harrell and Harrell, a local family firm available 24/7. My friends, huge Gator fans, you can trust them. If you've been injured, Harold and Harold, don't settle for less than you deserve. You can reach them at 904-251-1111. Okay. So uh, Florida wins a squeaker over Kentucky 65 to nothing. Lots of uh, stuff going on in this game, uh, as you might imagine. But the utter dominance of it was what was so unbelievable. Um, just to give you an idea. First downs, Florida 27, Kentucky 5. Kentucky punted 13 times. They were 0 for 16 on third down. In yardage, Florida had an advantage of 489 to 67. So this was uh, this was obviously about as bad as it can get. Uh, Florida hasn't had very many matchups against uh, the Montana states of the world that have been this lopsided. Uh, but that was uh, you know that was the uh, the discrepancy then between the two programs. And uh, we're going to talk to ESPN. Uh, Jaguars writer Michael DeRocco, uh, who then in, in the 96 season, DeRock has been on the Jaguars beat with me since 2013. Um, but before, uh, Michael DeRocco covered the Gators for the Florida Times Union and did so from 2000 to uh, uh, 2011, I believe, and then covered the Gators for ESPN uh, when they started their college only sites. Did that for a couple of years before uh, being promoted to the Jaguars at ESPN. But uh, in 1996, Michael Draco was working at the Times Union, wasn't on the Gator Beat, but would go to Gainesville routinely to write sidebars, cover the games, and, and things like that. So he was very well-versed 
in the 96 team and certainly uh, very familiar with their legacy covering the Gators for as long as he did uh, for the Times Union and for ESPN. So looking forward to getting his thoughts uh, as we continue here. But just to look at it, uh, Riddell Anthony finally got going for the Gators. Uh, seven catches, 126 yards, and two touchdowns. He had sort of, he had certainly had his moments. He caught the 35 yarder on fourth and 11 against Tennessee, but hadn't put up the spectacular numbers. This was sort of the start of that. It'll continue uh, going on to the Arkansas game the following week when he catches nine for 189 and three touchdowns. Uh, obviously, he would go on to set the school record that year for touchdown catches in a single season with 17. Uh, so Riddell Anthony gets going. Uh, as you might imagine, um, pretty much everybody got going. Interesting, too, Fred Taylor made a season debut, uh, six carries for 45 yards in this game. Uh, and then uh, another big story was Jaquez Green, uh, two punt returns for touchdowns. And this is what really uh, surprised me going back and doing the research. That ended a 12-year drought for the Gators on punt return touchdowns, which you just wouldn't think possible with all the athletes that the University of Florida has had, uh, that they could ever go 12 years without returning a punt for a touchdown. But that's what it was. And Jacquez Green got two uh, in the third quarter of the game. The game was already over uh, by the time that, that Quezzy got loose twice, but still a, a remarkable accomplishment uh, to achieve in uh, in a single game in the SEC. So uh, so Florida uh, beats Kentucky 65 to nothing. And now let's hear from Michael Duraco. All right, we are continuing to celebrate 96. And we want to welcome in Michael Duraco. Uh, Michael Duraco, as you guys know, is D Rock. I uh, covered the Gators for a long time. D Rock, it was 2000 to 2012, and then you've been covering the Jaguars uh, since 2013. But talk us uh, a little through kind of where you were in, in 1996 uh, covering the Gators uh, for the Florida Times Union, and uh, really appreciate your time today. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great, Hayes. Thanks for having me. Um, Back in 96, you know, I started at the Times Union in 1993. Um, back in 96, I was, I guess, the high school sports editor slash GA slash help out wherever needed guy. So I spent a lot of Saturdays at, uh, you know, in Gainesville at uh, Ben Hill Griffin Stadium doing sidebars, uh, you know, for that Gators team and for the uh, the team out west, as uh, Urban Meyer would say. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, it was a lot of fun. That was uh, – I can remember – uh, numerous games that year, uh, you know, including that Florida Georgia game that year. I think Florida won what was it, forty seven seven? Yeah, uh, that year, which someone else is going to talk about. We're going to talk about the Kentucky game, but uh, yeah, I mean, it was a lot of fun. That was uh, that was one of the best college football teams we've seen in a long, long time, and it was a lot of fun to kind of be there and, and see some of that take place. And how much of of covering them, you know, that year and and seeing uh, you know Florida become that kind of program. How much did that help you in terms of that experience once you got on the beat full-time in 2000? Yeah, you know, it was great because I got to see a little bit of Steve Spurrier and interact, um, you know, with him just a little bit, you know, in press conferences and stuff like that after games. Um, so that was sort of, um, you know, the, the I guess the biggest uh, help right there. Uh, you know, the thing of it was, is like I, I didn't grow up a huge college football fan, and when I got to the Florida Times Union, um, you know, I paid attention to college football, but it wasn't, you know, something that, that I really paid a, you know, a, a great deal of attention to. I was more of an NFL guy. Um, but, you know, when you watch that team and you saw how rabid the Gator fans were and how, you know, just dominant that team was and, and you know, played in that such 
fun style of offensive wide open football. I mean, it was hard not to sort of get captivated and caught up with that. And, you know, Steve Spurrier and in, in what that 96 team did is, is sort of what everybody, every Florida team, whether it was the teams that won the titles in 06 and 08, that's what they're measured against. I mean, Spurrier made Florida football. So, you know, you had to have an appreciation of what he did and where he brought the program and especially that team, you know, to keep perspective on, on what it was like to cover the University of Florida, even, you know, in 2006, 2004, you know, when, um, you know, Ron Zook was there and then when Urban Meyer got there and then when Will Muschamp got there, the, the Spurrier years and, and the, the the swagger he brought to that program, that that is sort of the benchmark. And it was uh, it was great to kind of see that firsthand. Absolutely. This episode of Celebrating 96 is sponsored by the personal injury law firm of Harrell & Harrell, a local family firm available 24-7, and my friends, huge gators, who you can trust, Harrell & Harrell, don't settle for less than you deserve. You can call them at 904-251-1111. All right, so we get to the Kentucky game, D-Rock, and obviously I think Florida is is supremely confident that they're going to beat Kentucky, and, and that's what happens. But let's talk about sort of what had just happened. So, Florida obviously gets destroyed by Nebraska in the Fiesta Bowl, and they don't really have a chance to make another real statement on the college football landscape until they go to number two Tennessee. Uh, the Gators opened fourth that year. They opened with Southwest Louisiana, Georgia Southern, and then that third game is really the game where they can announce that, that they are, in fact, back and, uh, and championship contenders again. Let's start before we get into Kentucky. Just what was the state of the program getting that win in Knoxville? The Gators move from number four to number one in the country and obviously take total control of the SEC East. Yeah, you know, the thing of it is, is after that debacle uh, against Nebraska, I think that there was still um, a lot of people that looked at Florida as a team that didn't deserve to be there, that, that was so far away from being an elite team even though they were pretty good, um, you know, and, and they hadn't had a chance to really kind of answer that, you know, I mean, that was a, that's a loss that sticks in your craw that, that, that is one of those off season motivating losses that the, the strength and conditioning staff yells at you about in February, that the coaches talk to you about, you know, when you come back for spring practice and, and, and fall camp. So, you know, I think that there was even though they had played for the national title, I think that there was still an element of a chip on the Gator's shoulder because they needed to really prove that, you know what, it wasn't a fluke. Um, we did deserve to be there. We had a bad day. And, and what better way to do that than to go into Knoxville with 102, 103,000 people screaming at you, wanting you absolutely demolished, and beat a Tennessee team that was ranked number two. Uh, it wasn't like this was a bad Tennessee team. That was the, the Vols were number two that year, and Florida goes in there, wins that game, and it really just sort of starts a surge. And I think what we saw that game, too, was, um, you know, that defense, they gave up 29, but it was still a really, really good defensive performance. But I think that from that point on is when that defense really, really started to exert itself. So I think it was a, a great uh, thing to really to kind of get the engine revving for this Florida team. And they just started rolling. I mean, they rolled in the first two games, obviously, with Louisiana and Georgia Southern. But you beat Tennessee – you're basically in control of the SEC East at that point, and they've just started rolling. Yeah, absolutely. And listen to some of these stats from the Kentucky game. Obviously, the score, 65 nothing. I mean, that's remarkable. But it's amazing when you really dive into the numbers. Florida was 
uh, had 27 first downs. Kentucky had five. Kentucky punted 13 times. They were 0 for 16 on third down. Florida outgained the Wildcats 489 to 67. So to your point about the defense, obviously Bob Stoops really had that that group going. What do, what do you remember about Bob Stoops being hired and uh, and what Bob Stoops brought to that program in 1996? Yeah, it was it was a. I mean, look, just for credit, he recognized that you know what you can't outscore everybody all the time. You've got to you've got to put some effort into the other side of the football. And, and, you know, getting Stoops was just the perfect match. He had the perfect uh, demeanor. I mean, it, it, forget scheme and, and, and all that stuff. He had the perfect demeanor and perfect, um, you know, approach uh, to coach with Steve Spurrier. Not everybody can do it, especially as a defensive corner. I mean, we used to see, uh, you know, in the years after Stoops left, you know, Steve Spurrier would be a little hard on those defensive corners. I can still remember John Hoke. Uh, getting needled by Spurrier after some games. So you have to have the right kind of mindset to coach with Steve Spurrier. And, and Stoops had it. And that was generally looked at as, as probably one of the most savvy moves of the offseason that year, Spurrier adding uh, a guy who could turn that defense into you know, an elite unit. And you know, it, it, it worked pretty much from the get-go. And, I mean, it helped. They had really, really good players, too. But uh, you know, Stoops, Stoops really was the key to that first title as much as Spurrier was. Yeah, absolutely. And when you look at uh, details of this game, you know, you mentioned you were uh, in the swamp riding a sidebar. Uh, that was sort of, you know, how you came up. And I don't know that that level still exists, uh, but that was a part of being groomed uh, to take on a major beat as you would go and, and do sidebars, Florida, Florida State, as you mentioned. Um this was a great game for sidebar because you had the defense gets a shutout. <laughs> right. You had Riddell Anthony finally gets going and snaps out of it. He had been a little slow to start the year the first three games. Uh, he did have the fourth and 11 touchdown against Tennessee that we all remember. But in terms of like gross numbers, they weren't really there. But against Kentucky, he really got going. Seven catches, 126 yards, two touchdowns. You had Jacquez Green returned two punts for touchdowns in the third quarter, uh, although the game was well in hand at that point. But again, great sidebar fodder. So this really, uh, this really was a great sidebar game. Oh, yeah. I mean, and you, you, when you're the sidebar guy, and you're especially the sidebar guy that I was, you know, when we used to send four, you know, sometimes three, four, maybe even five guys to game. So not only is a sidebar guy, I mean, you've got a columnist you're dealing with, and then, and Matt Hayes and, uh, you know, and John Osher used to be the beat writers back in the day. Those guys would, um, you know, would take a sidebar every once in a while, too. So you sort of sometimes you get to those games and it would just be like, uh, what am I writing? I don't really have I mean, there's not a whole lot of compelling stuff here, especially when, you know, they're beating the crud out of teams like Georgia Southern. But this was, you know, this SEC team and, and there was a ton of stuff to write about in that game. And what I think what. 20, 23 yards, is that all they had in the first half? I think Kentucky did. I mean, it was just unbelievable. Um, yeah, and, and, and I don't remember what I wrote. I probably could go digging in there. Uh, but it was, I bet it had to do with Jacquez Green. I'm just going to guess. But, I mean, two punt returns for touchdowns, um, I think on back-to-back punts. Yeah, they were uh, both was, in the was, third quarter. Yeah, that's right. It, it was crazy. Uh, you know, that was a fun game to cover. And, and more importantly, too, 
it's a game that you don't have any deadline pressure on because that game was over about 10 minutes after it started. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, and back then we didn't have as many night games, so that was probably more of a noon, you know, 3 o'clock. I don't remember the 96 team. I could be wrong, but it doesn't feel like back then you had as many 7.30s and 8s that you do uh, on the current TV deals. Uh, one thing that was interesting on the Jack was green uh, consecutive punt returns is uh, it, it snapped a 12-year drought which is hard to believe because uh, special teams seem like they've always played such a big role in really all of Florida's uh, three national championship teams. Yeah, and when you consider, I think it was from 84 to 96, you, you, you figure all the high school football athletes that are in Florida and nobody had taken a punt back for a touchdown in that 12-year span. I mean, that's just crazy until uh, Jack has greened it. Yeah, it was – God, that game was – if you're a Gator fan, that's the game you absolutely love. I mean, you're on that high from – you know the Tennessee game, and 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 you know the cliche thing is is the, um, you know the 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 letdown game after that because you know they had Arkansas I think on the schedule uh, after that, uh, followed by LSU and, and Auburn at home, and and those two teams are ranked in the top twenty. So you got to wonder, okay, they just came off this big emotional win on the road, do they let up anyway? And and no, not at all. Pedal to the floor, and and they really just started. I think really. That Kentucky game was more, almost in a way, more impressive than what they did at Tennessee, just because of the it being right after and how dominant they were. Yeah, and and the other thing too about this game that's an interesting footnote is it was Fred Taylor's season debut. He ran six times for forty-five yards, uh, so he did not play in those first three games. Um, you've really gotten a chance to see him. Uh, obviously, you know we still see Fred a lot covering the Jaguars, and and he's still such a great ambassador, uh, you know, for the Jaguars. But what kind of uh, what's it been like for you to see Fred go from you know a guy making his way? Uh, is a Gator and becoming obviously a collegiate star and then seeing his progression as NFL star and now great, uh, great ambassador for the Jaguars in the NFL. Yeah. Those are the, those are the things that you really kind of sometimes don't appreciate as a sports writer, as often as you should, that you're able to see these guys at the beginning of their careers and watch them develop into, to elite players. And and that's what Fred Taylor is. He's an elite player. He's a pro uh, football hall of fame candidate. It's a great argument to be made that he should be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Um, you know, he was hurt a little bit by playing in Jacksonville, small market team. And, um, you know, we, we talk about that all the time. I know you guys do on the Frangie show, too. That he, I mean, he look, he's as deserving as, as, as Jimmy Smith is of getting in the Hall of Fame. Uh, but Fred was a kid, you know, he was, he came into the league and, and he wasn't the most articulate kid and he was not helped by the fragile Fred. Uh, nickname that he got stuck with, uh, despite the fact that that was really Tom Coughlin's fault because he basically tore the groin off the bone and Coughlin wouldn't put him on the IR and he right. was, you know, stuck answering questions about it every week. And Fred got the fragile Freddie tag, and that was totally unfair. But when you look at the totality of his career in Jacksonville, the, one of the top two or three backs in the league every year, and he is now a guy that. You know, and he's been pretty vocal about it, too, on social media about wanting to be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And I think once the Tony Baselli stuff gets rolling and, and the Jags can get Baselli in the Hall of Fame, then I do think that Fred Taylor will probably be the next guy that has the best chance to get in. But what a fantastic player he was. I mean, just remember the, the touchdown run against the, the Dolphins in the playoffs and how that set the tone for that game. It was 
crazy, and and he was just such a, a you know we joke about it. We the jump cutter, jump cutter. We all <laughs> do that joke in the media room, jump cutter. But that's what he did so well, man. It's like one second he was there, and the next second he was three yards away, and you just were like, how did he do it? Um, you know, I, I I I've seen a lot of guys play football, and, and there are two guys that have always stuck out to me as guys that I always love to watch and guys that really just made me just shake my head. One, believe it or not, was Lavernius Coles when he okay. was in high school and at, at FISU, and the other one was Fred Taylor. And, and I just don't think he gets the credit that he really deserves to get. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And uh, D-Rock, I really appreciate your time, but I want, you know, you're, you're getting the Kentucky game, and we certainly appreciate that, but we want you to also expound and, and get some of that national title uh, love as well. So did you have a, a, a story? Did you cover the game in Tallahassee that the Gators lost? What did you think about, you know, them getting a shot to get a rematch against the Knowles and, uh, and everything that led up to that. And, uh, if you have an experience, what was, uh, your experience with the national championship game, uh, 52 to 20 and the, and the celebration in the swamp after that? Yeah. I, well, my favorite story from that year is that Florida goes into Tallahassee play number two, Florida state, and they lose that game 24, 21. And the FSU fans stormed the field at Doe Campbell stadium. Well, Back then, you used to be able to get on the field before the game ended, like four or five minutes before the game ended, so you could just kind of catch all the, the atmosphere and stuff like that. So, you know, we were down there on the sideline when it ended, and that's when people sort of just stormed in out of the stands. And, and in order to get to, <laughs> to, get to uh, you know, the, the interview room and stuff, you had to go down through this smaller area down by the, uh, the end zone uh, in Doe Candle Stadium. Well, there were people everywhere on the field and they were ripping up parts of the sod and the field and you know here i am i got to get in that locker room to do some interviews and or get to the media room and do some interviews and i can't fight my way through so i eventually <laughs> make my way over to the other side of the field uh and you know i'm right behind the fsu bench and i look up and there are three uh florida highway patrolmen sitting down you know on the bench and i'm like fellas i need to get to the meeting room can you help me out and the guy looks up to me and he says look buddy we got you got no chance he's like there's nothing we can do uh so there i was standing out there for a good 30 45 minutes with basically nothing to do just sitting around watching all these florida state fans lose their minds <laughs> uh, ripping sod up and and i was just like i was young i think i was 26 27 at that point um and uh, all I could think of was, man, I'm going to get fired because I didn't get into the locker room. I'm going to get fired. This is awful. So I was so nervous. Uh, but luckily back then, you know, they would send out some pretty comprehensive quote sheets. So I was able to get some work done that way. But it was there was only one like half second moment where I was really kind of afraid when a big bunch of people just kind of rushed by me and I got knocked around a little bit. But other than that, it wasn't that bad. But I was just so scared that I was going to get fired. <laughs> you know, as a young reporter. It was uh, it was crazy. How did you think the rematch would go? Um, I felt like Florida was going to win that game. Um, you know, I think on turf with the kind of athletes that they had with 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 that, that receiving core, I thought was going to be. I thought FSU, even as good as they were, they were going to have a hard time keeping up with that Florida offense. Um, because I think if you remember, didn't they beat the living crud out of Danny Werfel in that game Correct. in uh, in Tallahassee? Uh, and I knew that, I mean, you knew Florida was going to do something to make sure he could get the ball out quicker. And if they were going to go to a quicker game, 
then I thought that Florida would have a big advantage there, and, that, and that's what it turned out to be. Great stuff. Well, Michael DiRocco, we certainly appreciate you joining us. Again, you can catch all of uh, DRock's great work covering the Jaguars on ESPN. Uh, it's been a great career. Uh, Times Union covering the Gators, ESPN covering the Gators, and uh, ESPN covering the Jaguars. We certainly uh, have always enjoyed reading your stuff, DRock, and certainly appreciate your perspective on this 96th national championship team for the Gators. Thanks for having me, man. Hayes, it brings back memories. It was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Really appreciate Michael DiRocco's time joining us uh, to reflect on that 65 nothing win over Kentucky. And, uh, yeah, so the Gators now are, are rolling. Uh, they, uh, they've got the big win over Tennessee. Um, they've shown that they're not going to be satisfied with that. They go out and, and beat Kentucky silly, uh, work them silly. And uh, next up, Arkansas is on the horizon. We are looking forward to, uh, to that episode. Former Gator linebacker Johnny Rutledge is going to join us uh, to talk about that Arkansas win and just sort of where the, where the team was at that point in the year. Uh, they're not quite to the midway point, but they're, they're getting close. They've, they've now had uh, you know, a, a few games under new defensive coordinator Bob Stoops, and they're starting to figure things out. Um, so really looking forward to talking to Johnny Rutledge. That's on next week's episode. And uh, really appreciate Michael Duraco joining us uh, to, to relive this, this great 96 team. And uh, as, as I told you guys uh, earlier, uh, Harrell & Harrell is sponsoring Celebrating 96. We certainly appreciate that. The personal injury law firm of Harrell & Harrell, a local family firm available 24-7, uh, big enough to battle the insurance company, small enough that you're going to get the personal attention you need. Uh, you can trust Harrell & Harrell. They're huge gators. Uh, don't settle for less than you deserve. You can call Harrell & Harrell at 904 251 one 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 one. This has been Hayes Carlion. Thank you for listening to Celebrating 96 on 1010XL.com.